Hey, how's everybody doing? My name is Christian Wagner, and I'm the Militant Thomas, and I'm here with St. Bonaventure himself. Look at this. <laughs> yeah. Oh, okay. Okay. So, um, what was that? Oh, yeah. Make sure you, uh, if you're interested in more stuff, um, free PDFs. Uh, what else do I do? Uh, free videos, although uh, exclusive videos, although I haven't done one in, in a bit. I've been a bit uh, busy recently. Um articles too when i decide to uh write an article that i don't post normally um a bunch of other stuff uh patreon.com slash militant thomas get access to the extra discord channels and just help me out and uh and uh gain merit in my eyes <laughs> who there's who said it oh crap i can't even remember uh somebody said something about merit in my patreon um Sounds like an Elijah kind of thing to say. What, what, yeah, that seems like an Elijah kind of thing. Who? What? What else? Uh, you remember what I do? Um, oh yeah, books, books. Yeah. Uh, ChristianBWagner.com slash shop. Um, then also, all of you out there, I know you're you're terrible uh, with your Greek. You need Greek help. So go to fluentgreeknt.com. Use the code militant for twenty percent off to have the best Greek program in the entire world. And I'm serious about that. Much better than any of those Greek seminary classes that you waste your time on. Because trust me, I've been through them. A lot of times they are. They're wasting time. Is this a Capturing Christianity dunk stream? I need to do one of those one time. I need to like find his cringiest video and just... That would be kind of mean. That would be kind of mean. He just did a video with with Ben Watkins. On what? on, On why he's an atheist. Uh, oh yeah, that's the guy from uh, Real Atheology. I did a Real Atheology. I don't know. I don't, I don't know. I just know his Twitter. I know his really, his really long name. It's Benjamin Blake Speed Watkins. It's okay. Um, you know, you know, with Davenant, um, Brad Littlejohn. No, no, I don't know that. Oh well, his his full name is uh, William Bradford Littlejohn. I thought <laughs> that's the that's the coolest name ever. The first time I heard that, I was like, that is a baller name. Christian B. Wagner start a stream on time challenge. Literally impossible. I've done it before. We so are bon- on time. Ours so was it? Do you, I don't know if you know this, but was, was it actually Bonaventure who wrote the Psalter of Our Lady? I think it was, yeah. Because I've heard from some sources that it was like somebody else who just attributed it to uh, It could be. I mean, either way, it's not like one of his. Like, I wouldn't say like when I think Bonaventure, I think, oh, yes, the Psalter of Our Lady. Like, I, there's other things that come to yeah, mind. Yeah, I, th- I think of his commentary in the sentences. Yeah, it's probably his magnum opus. That are the um, imagine writing your magnum opus when you're like 25, <laughs> and then all, all downhill from there. <laughs> but he was, he was, he was uh, Thomas. He wrote all of his, all of his stuff, and then at the end of his life, like the last month, he was a mystic. Bonaventure's just like write my magnum opus, and then just have the mystical life for the rest of my life. Yeah, uh, it's. Uh, I think actually the the best proof for Eastern Orthodoxy is how obvious it is that Second Leon was cursed based on the fact that both of them died. <laughs> yeah, that was horrible. So who's the baby Thomas? That's my son, but he's sleeping right now. So if he wakes up during the stream, I'll bring him on. He's here in presence. He's here in presence. Well, he's in the like room next to our sleeping right now. So that that's where he is physically. Uh, have you read locally. have you read like disputed questions on the mystery of the Trinity? I know you said you wanted to. I have I have the PDF, but I haven't You found it. a PDF of it? Oh yeah, I should send it to you. Now that I because, no, oh, wait, I no, you, you have it. But yeah, that somebody book, half of his books are like basically impossible to find in PDF form. Yeah, I did. I did find. I wanted to find uh, his commentary and sentences in PDF, but uh, wasn't able to. And Dende is. Uh, I have Dende's raging, raging in the Discord right now about us uh, finding <laughs> PDFs online of of books. <laughs> I, have I, I don't know. I could, I, 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 could, I'm, I could not send them to you, but why? I show the hell way too much money for it. Why did I not know there was a PDF? <laughs> yeah, but um, I, I did read in uh, Nicolas uh, that there was apparently, I think, one. Like, I've only ever read that there was, like, one weird thing when it came to Bonaventure's Trinitarian theology. That was, like, a like quadrinary issue. It wasn't even, like, anything super serious. Yeah. I did send it in the Discord, though. So, yeah, oh, yeah, I that's a reminder. It. I didn't read it because I don't trust any scholars. So, I don't, I don't trust it, any I scholars. Well, he's a, he's a dogmatic theologian. He's not really... Don't care. Uh, don't trust him. Don't care. Don't trust him. 
based. So <laughs> I will send it right there, uh, the Discord link to the invite to the Discord. We do talk about really that's usually actually in the Patreon only uh, section that we talk about like the really deep stuff. Like what was I talking about today? Yeah. Oh yeah, whether um where is it the theology chat i was just talking about generation you're talking about whether generation yeah whether ge generation active spiration or perfection yeah they got him in i know for a long time it was like lambeth and byzantine scotus was going back for like four weeks straight in the in oh yeah those those two are so, sometimes i wonder i'm like do you guys have jobs or something you guys like <laughs> All I, I was like, should I? I should read this. I already like one message of it, and I go, nah. Like I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm uh, <laughs> Lambeth and Lambeth and Byzantine Scotist are the are the rock and foundation of the Discord. <laughs> it's just uh, every other post when I post in there, it's just me like dunking on like rad trash or something. That's all I post in there. About. Let, let me find yeah. what the problem that I found with with uh, Bonaventure. I actually I might the, the father and like uh, yeah, in my DMs. He sent it to me in DMs, or was it? I did. Oh yeah. Error regarding the inaccessibility of the father. Inaccessibility. Yeah, I don't care. I don't know. <laughs> I don't care. It's wrong anyways. <laughs> yeah. Open original. <laughs> Let me try to open this up. Yeah, Saint Bonaventure is clearly determined intention in this matter. For him, it is a question of knowing whether of the two concepts, namely paternity or generation, is the reason for the other. Oh, and he specifies the question, is the first person the father because he begets the son, or does he beget the son because he is a father? His response is that he is the father because he begets, but this presupposes that he already exists. Oh, yeah, yeah. I could see how that could be a bit of an issue. But uh, I, I might... I mean, it just depends on how you... I mean, it just depends on how you view... I mean, Bonaventure... The reason why he says that is because Bonaventure is so concerned. Like, if you, you've read the introduction to the disputed, disputed questions, right? Have you read the introduction part? But I, haven't, I haven't, like, even opened up the PDF. I just saw okay. that it was... Somebody sent it to me, and I was so like... So, the introduction oh, is very... Like, I have... Like, the introduction is, like, 100 pages long, but trust me, it's, like, it's probably the best introduction to Bonaventure's Trinitarian thought you'll ever find. Um, and Bonaventure... I, I interviewed he is so unbelievably concerned with like um the relations like that's probably the, like, the his biggest stress is like how the relations are kind of form our understanding of the trinity so that would make sense that'd be a very bonaventure thing to say in a sense because he, yeah. he really cares about like like he argues for like in the commentary of the sentences he he argues for basically the filioque way through the relations and how relations work let me did um, i did I add you Calvin's beard to the, because there's the Patreon chats and it's usually in the theology chat. Yeah. I might, I I'm, if there's any patrons out there and I'll probably just trust you, just DM me if I forgot to add you to the patron chats, because there was like a week there where like five people joined and I, I like messaged all of the patrons and I was like, Hey guys, if you're a patron and I forgot to add you to the Patreon chats, just let me know. Wait, yeah. you interviewed him? I did, but I'm, I'm going to keep him. Uh, so he's one of the people I interviewed. So let's figure out if you can find out which one it was. Who Lambeth? Yeah. What did you interview? Him? I don't. When? I don't want to. I don't want to dox him. For what? I'm just asking. Like, like, for nah, what, dude? I'm not telling you. Okay. Not so sure. thoughts on Bellamy's view of justification. It's interesting because I've been reading a little bit more about this. So before, when uh, when St. John Henry Newman, in his lectures on justification, writes about Bellarmine's view on justification, he's a little oh, bit man. negative about, uh, about what Bellarmine says. Because he says, since uh, Bellarmine says that the, that the formal uh, cause of justification is charity, and, and I obviously uh, disagreed with that, Newman disagreed with that. But from reading another source, basically the reason why he says it's charity is because um, it was a common position in a position that St. Bellarmine held that charity and sanctifying grace um, were were equal to one another, that they were the same thing. And I read that in Paul in his um, dogmatic theology on it. So I need to do a little bit more, more research before I talk about Bellarmine's view on justification again. I, that was that was really interesting because at first I was like, oh yeah, obviously 
uh, I think that's wrong. That charity is the the grounds for our justification. But then if he if he's saying that charity is equal to sanctifying grace, well, I don't agree with that. And uh, the Thomas and the Jesuits have have wholesale. Um, I think that might just be a a a really minority position. I don't know. I'd have to ask um, Bessarian. Bessarian would know. Yeah. But yeah, I would I would need to do a little bit more research. And then on predestination, I'm a Thomas, so I obviously disagree with him. Yeah, I've never read any Bellarmine besides uh, I want to say one thing about him. I read uh, uh, he really kind of because he's like he's like the go to trad doctor of the church. Like they just love citing Bellarmine. Yeah, but he uh, but he very funnily like 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 despite the fact that the Turks and the Jews are evil, they worship the one God, which is really funny. He says that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but the other thing, the reason why I turn my camera off is because I've never read Newman. I know. Christians enraged in tears, but I I did buy the, the Apologia Pro Vita Suda, and I'll read this soon. So, oh, we have Byzantine Scotist. I'm gonna oh, switch hey, it no. to. There you go. That's a little bit better. <laughs> there we go. Yeah. Lambeth is Pope Michael. You've been arguing with Pope Michael the whole time. <laughs> <laughs> Pope Michael's actually an Anglican. Yeah. Okay. The... What did What did you say? Oh yeah, golf. Where? Oh yeah. I need the I need the email. Uh, Doctor Golf about that because that is very interesting he, i didn't know that that's what he did his dissertation on. yeah he did his dissertation actually specifically on the reception of aristotle in the disputed question yeah very interesting oh wait he cut he out goes. it's okay it's okay we can just look at his we can we can contemplate what he would say after that deeply you know he's a smart man we can we can oh, there we go i'm back now oh there yeah, you go um... <laughs> Yeah, I was going to say, he did his dissertation specifically on the reception of Aristotle in the disputed questions. Yeah, yeah. Man, I need myself a sparkling um, water. But it, in the you whole, guys, like... You guys talk about this, I'm getting myself a sparkling water. Yeah. In the whole, like, um, last section, like, the good, like, 50 pages or so of the book, it's just a commentary on the disputed questions, so it's very good. I need. I, I think you told me you would have sent me a PDF of that, or I got an email mm -hmm. about it. I got to find that because I'm really interested in that because I do like um, I, I've said before, uh, to be fair, I think he draws it from his commentary on the sentences, which I haven't read in its entirety. I haven't finished. It's a very big book, obviously, uh, that he seems to believe that uh, Bonaventure uh, takes a. Uh, I'm afraid the term one second. A Scotus view of the Trinity, basically. In short, yeah, right? no, that's basically what he's arguing is that a lot of stuff in Scotus a lot of it was originally thought like, okay, Scotus didn't come up with this out of nowhere, but it's in some of Bonaventure's students, but it was th thought not to be in Bonaventure. But yeah. that's heavily because the disputed questions were lost for quite a while. Yeah. And this is late Bonaventure. And for a long time, people looked more at Bonaventure's um, sentences commentary, but that's more early Bonaventure. Yeah. And so he's arguing quite a lot of this is already here in Bonaventure. And as late as Peter John of Olivi, the Franciscans are aware of the disputed questions and commenting on it, but it seems to drop out of discussion after that. Yeah. I don't know if I necessarily agree with that based on my reading of disputed questions, though, of course, he probably knows. I mean, I don't know Latin, so he probably knows more of it than I do. Yeah. Well, one of uh, the big things he draws in is, or two big things, I think, is the notion of infinity and yeah. the way the disjunctive transcendentals work. And he's arguing those two were really central to Scotus's metaphysics. Yeah. And you find both of those, they're already quite developed in the disputed questions. <laughs> Although I said before that I don't, I don't disagree with the, on the nature of, I think that Bonaventure couldn't have thought that. I just don't think it would be, I don't think Bonaventure is typically very concerned with that sort of, uh, I don't, I don't think it's very, I don't think it's one of his bigger concerns if that makes sense. So even if he did affirm it, I don't think it would be like, like, I, I don't think you would have to, affirm, like, you get what I'm saying? Like, I, I, I don't think it's... I think with the disjunctive transcendentals, that's possible. Uh, that's a lot more, um, less talked about. But I think in terms of his view of infinity, I'm actually very convinced that that's important in the dispute, in both yeah. of the sets of disputed questions. Oh, for no, I agree, yeah. I agree. Okay, very, so... Very so I just don't know if uh, him exactly affirming sort of a Scotus understanding of the Trinity, so to speak, would be like... I wouldn't describe it as like a key aspect of Bonaventure's thought, if that makes sense. So with, bon with Bonaventure, does he mm -hmm. does he agree with Scotus on relative opposition? 
Yeah, it's, and for both of them, it seems to be the emphasis is more on the modes of generation mm-hmm. than on relative opposition. So both of them would affirm relative opposition, but they would say that relative opposition exists because of these distinct modes of procession. Yeah. Uh, the, very, Russell, very interesting. I, I, I'm still... Ru- Ru- Russell Friedman's book on this is really good where he shows this is a long-running debate between the Franciscans and the Dominicans. Um the only issue with Friedman's book is he doesn't touch on the disputed questions, so he doesn't realize just how developed Bonaventure's views on this became. Yeah. Um, but otherwise, that book is really, really excellent. And um, the disputed questions were just sort of being rediscovered right as um, when were they rediscovered? Friedman. They were rediscovered in the 1800s, but they weren't being talked about that much until about the last decade. All right, that makes sense. Um, Maximilian Colby is probably aware of them though, but Fellner thinks that Colby is drawing quite a bit on the disputed questions at points. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. I, I don't know. So with another one of the questions is about, uh, is about circumcession where there's a disagreement on the tradition is that with, with Suarez and with some of the other scholastics, circumcession is based on the fact of, um, of the spatial plenitude of God. So uh, omnipresence is the basis for circumcession. So it, is, is that something that uh, I, the SCOTUS pick up on? Because I didn't hear any SCOTUS doctors uh, talk yeah, about I, that. I've never seen that in SCOTUS. Maybe it's there and I'm just not aware of it. I mean, I haven't read every last article in the Ordinatio on, Trini- on the Trinity yet. Is he, I mean, there goes on for hundreds and hundreds of pages. So Yeah, I, I have I have them on my reading list for the reading that I'm doing on the Trinity. Yeah, yeah. Uh, th- you guys are going to get a lot of Trinity stuff here in the next few yeah. weeks because I've just yeah, been like yeah. raging I, on that. I got into this when I made my vi- video on the Trinity a few months ago. Um, but even then, if you want to get good stuff on Scotus's Trinitarian theology, um, Richard Cross has some very good articles on it. Yeah, Come I don't always. Re- who's we're talking about Bonaventure's disputed questions? Yeah, yeah. I don't very... always recommend Cross, but Cross on the Trinity I think is very good. Cross There's... is that the same cross that like dunked on the um dunked on the Lutherans on Christology? This is Richard Cross. I don't know. He's an Anglican, so I don't know. I think yeah, I think it's the same Richard Cross who dunks on the Lutherans. Okay, yes. probably he he does a lot of good work. Um the only issue is he has like a modern scholarly tendency to think he's smarter than all the authors he's commenting on. So like as he's commenting on Scotus's um was it his um argument for god he tries to debunk it at the same time and when he's commenting on scotus's some of scotus's stuff he tends to read some of later anglican ideas into scotus there so he thinks scotus is sort of a proto-protestant i i messaged the other paul so the other paul let's 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 all harass the other paul about james white on the trinity yeah because james james white what he was what he was saying did did you see my stream the other day Byzantine scotus that i did on james white? I didn't, no i, I didn't, didn't see, see that day, no but i've talked yeah, yeah, to with, paul about it and me and other paul have a very big disagreement on how rhetoric regarding the trinity and distinction should be so made. so with with uh uh james white basically what he's saying is that the way in which we can speak of the extra <coughs> operations being one is because there's some sort of moral unity between the persons of the Trinity yeah. in, in the ad extra uh, operations. And I'm like, that, that is, that is, that is tritheism. And I yeah. think it goes, it still goes back to the fact that yeah. most modern authors are not understanding what a hypostasis is. They, they just have no idea. I take a, this- see, this is one of the issues with uh, me and me and you talked about this a bit. Uh, and me and other Paul talked about this a bit. We're like, a lot of modern thinkers, regardless of if they're Christian or Muslim or whoever, take a, they get like a very Cartesian understanding of person, which will, no matter what you do, completely destroy the Trinity. No matter yeah. how you, if you're using it as a Christian or against Christianity, if you take the understanding of what personhood means, it's not going to function well. Do you think this problem is already present in Calvin himself? Because I've seen some people accuse Calvin of being a social Trinitarian. It is interesting because like when you read, uh, for example, Petrus von Maastricht, who was a a Dutch reformed scholastic, he when when he's proving the fact that the Holy Spirit is a person, um, he points to the fact that there's a he, he says that there's a distinct will. Uh, which is present and it doesn't seem like he's talking about appropriations so that that is that is very interesting and i'd like to uh, definitely do a lot more reading on the uh, reformed scholastic uh, theology of the trinity because 
it I, I'm I'm not I'm still not did you see my other, the thread the other day when I was talking about uh Bishop John Davenant? It no. seems like Bishop John Davenant, he when he's interacting with one of Cajetan's positions about merit, it seems like he didn't understand Cajetan too well. Because I had just read Cajetan the other day on merit. And I was like, this is weird. And then I read a bit more closely. And Cajetan, I mean uh, Bishop Davenant at one point says like, well, this is according to Vasquez. And I was like, that makes perfect sense. I think what happened is that for most of the reformed scholastics, they got a hold of one or two neo-scholastic manuals. And since the neo-scholastics are like so autistic about listing everybody's positions, all they did is rather than reading the primary sources themselves, is okay. they were just quoting the neo-scholastics, what they yeah. said. And are you telling me that, with, are you um, telling that only citing the secondary sources is a problem that's existed for <laughs> yes. years? Yeah, I mean, when you see the scholastics citing the church fathers, about half the time they're just taking quotes from um, the sentences and not actually looking at the original sources. I know this is a serious yeah. issue in the scholastics themselves, and so this is yeah, a with, long time. With the University of Paris, though, they did have a... Uh, I read somebody who did like a little bit of a research uh, thing on this. I can't remember who, but they did have on a lot of their uh, reading lists for seminarians. They did have like things like Augustine's De Trinitate in yeah. at, at the University of Paris. And they had them read it. Yeah, I'm sure that Bonaventure read quite a bit of the Greek fathers or at least read people who were aware of the Greek fathers uh, and well aware of them because he read, um, uh and and sorry to interrupt you, but just because I was talking about uh -huh. Christian in the introduction to uh, disputed questions, I think his name's Father Father Gregory Pine. I believe his last name is Pine. I'm not too sure his last name. Father Gregory Pine. Yeah, he's a yeah. Dominican. Yeah, yeah, I think he is. Yeah, but mm -hmm. he. Uh, no, I don't. That's not him. Maybe I don't know who it is. I don't remember. Who I think it's Fa that. Father Zachary Hayes did the translation. That could be it too. I'm. Sorry, I, don't I don't know if he wrote the introduction, that. but. I don't remember who wrote the introduction, but in the introduction, the, the author, it could be Zachary Hayes. I could just be confusing. Yeah. I have it right here. I'm pulling it up. Oh, but yep, Zachary Hayes. about to be debunked. Thank you. Thank you, Byzantine Scotus. Thank you for debunking me, brotherly. <laughs> uh, but uh, <laughs> what I was going to say is in that introduction, he makes a very good argument that the two, the two that Bonaventure, at least by the time he's writing the disputed questions, must have an, like a near encyclopedic knowledge of of Richard of Saint Victor and Dionysius the Areopagite, or oh, what yeah. we call the pseudo Dionysian. Oh yeah, and uh, um, so the big thing Goff discovered in his research is that either Bonaventure read Maximus directly, which is unlikely, but it's more likely is that he read Ereugena because there's a quotation that he puts in at one spot. And it's not obvious it's a quotation, but it's a few words that are an exact match that are only found in Ereugena and Maximus. We read one of the two. Yeah. Um, but in any case, the big thing that um, we clearly see in all of this is that his theology is mimicking the Cappadocians and Dionysius in ways yeah. that aren't simply things you would get from quotations. They're more systematic issues he's picking up from them. Versus yeah. it seems to me that Thomas is a lot more aware of them. So he quotes them quite a bit, but his systematic view of the Trinity is quite different and is much, much closer to Augustine. Yeah, so it seems to very... me that he's probably only read De Trinitate in full. He probably hasn't read much of the Eastern Fathers in full, at least on the he, Trinity. He read, he read St. John of Damascus. Uh, that That's pretty clear that uh, they oh, have yeah. that as a source. And then... Yeah. Um, another source is uh, he read Richard of St. Victor, and he's obviously responding in a lot of places to Richard of St. Victor's yeah. errors on yeah. the Trinity. Yeah, versus uh, Bonaventure he, says that um, he loves Richard of St. Victor. and um, For the true. Trinity? I don't know if it's on the Trinity, but he draws on Richard quite a bit in a lot of other spots. And yeah, I've only in, his, seen yeah. book on the in his book what, on the sacraments, what, 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 is pretty what good. What began the introduction, Father Zachary Hayes argues that he's basically taking Richard of St. Victor and Dionysius both agree on like this sort of understanding of kind of a Neoplatonic emanation and how that functions yeah. in the Trinity. And Bonaventure seems to take that almost in its entirety and applies it to his Trinitarian thought. That's probably what he's talking about. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. But Dionysius kind of kind of puts that forth, or you know, pseudo Dionysius. If you want to call it Dionysius or not, it doesn't really matter. No, it's 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 Dionysius. It, he it puts is. it forth. He puts it forth in his writings, mm -hmm. right? And that's kind of then developed upon by Richard of Saint Victor, which seems to be what Bonaventure is sort of taking in uh, and yeah. sort of applying systematically I, entirely I, to his theology. I know, in general, he's a big fan of um, 
the Victorines. I know one spot he kind of implies that Hugh of St. Victor is even greater than like Dionysius Augustine and Anselm. Oh, Hugh of St. Victor. That's his, uh, that's the, that's the one who wrote a, a work on the sacraments. It wasn't Richard. Richard okay. Uh, yeah. Yeah. The only thing I Hugh of St. Victor has a book on education. That's a uh -huh. great one. The did, uh, the did did ask, yeah. 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 I've read that yeah. one too. It's pretty yeah. good. Even though he does say in it at one point, the, the deuterocanonical books are not canonical. Yes. Yes. And <laughs> something else I like to bring up to like the, like the norm, normie Catholic answer apologists who say that like, there's no questions about the canon. I mm -hmm. always like to bring up that work and uh, be like, there was obviously medieval uh, questions about the uh, canon. You know, I, I still say that there's a, s a secondary canon, which gets people annoyed. Yeah. Because <laughs> that's what Deutero canon means. It means second <laughs> canon. Yeah. It's also, it's also clear that, in my opinion, I've talked about this before, it's clear in my opinion that what Trent outlines in the canon is not, like, limiting. Like, it's like if it was, then why would we allow, like, the Syriacs to use the, the Peshitta still? They have different books in the Peshitta that are like they have five yeah, extra e songs. Even with the um the Ethiopic tradition, the Ethiopic tradition uh holds Athanas Saint Athanasius's position, which Saint Athanasius doesn't list the uh Deuterocanonical books. So they actually in their canon law, the Ethiopic tradition has the Deuterocanonical books as a as um being just like basically the Anglican position that yeah. is just they for morals. They have a tertiary yeah, canon too. Yeah, because they have like Enoch and Jubilees and that. They consider those which, they, they consider those literally tertio canonical, the third canon. They have uh, that's the, the tertio canonical book. book. Yeah, no, so there's, there's, there's a tradition among the Ethiopians that they have an 88 book canon, but there's no like agreed upon list what those 88 books are. Yeah, they, they'll also so funny. like the, the Shepherd of Hermas in the New Testament, and they view that in the same way. Too. Oh, and, and they Faith. have a um, fathers did. They, they have a bootlegged version of Josephus in their canon as well. Like it's really, like, it's like a cliff noted version of Josephus that was made in like the 10th century called Josephon. They I have they have they have their own version of the Book of Maccabees. I think it's called like oh, Maccabea. Yeah. Yeah, I know. I need, I've been really. Some of these just aren't translated into English, so I can only find like Wikipedia level summaries of them. Yeah, that yeah. is amazing. You gotta learn Giaz, bro. Sorry. Yeah. Actually, when I was at um Catholic University, they had a very big um program for Ethiopian studies. That's why I had. Really? I had a really. I took a class on early Christianity, and I had a um guest lecturer who was doing his research on Ethiopian Christianity for his dissertation, and it sounded like Indiana Jones. Like he had to scale a mountain to get to a monastery to find manuscripts he needed. What are at your one point on? he. At one point, he examined a Bible that was like 500 years old, and he asked like the priest and like the church, like, "Can I borrow this?" And he's like, "Yeah, but we need it back on Sunday because this is like where we read the Gospels from." Bro, <laughs> that's stuff a, like that's this. amazing. <laughs> they, they still hand copy all the Bibles they use in the liturgy. Like they're wild. And I wanted to visit an Ethiopian Orthodox church once, and I checked it out, and they start matins at like 4 a.m. Oh yeah, I've heard that before. What are you go to like on, noon? I almost went, but what are your thoughts on the on the Tewahedo claims that they have the Ark of the Covenant? I'm skeptical. I want to believe I'm it, skeptical. but my main my main <laughs> argument that I find against it is that Second Maccabees seems to be pretty clear that Jeremiah hid the Ark of the Covenant in Mount, at Mount Hebron, I think it was, and it's he says it will not be discovered until rediscovered until Israel is gathered together again. And I think this is fulfilled with the coming of Christ and Mary being the new Ark of the Covenant. And I actually think Revelation is alluding to this. What There's it mentions also, the Ark uh, of the Covenant being discovered in heaven. Oh, so with the assumption. But, yeah, but I think that um, that's my primary objection to it, is it seems like Jeremiah hid it there. Now, if it is true, I'm convinced it definitely was not brought based on the story they have. But all, all the time, stories are made up to explain things that people aren't certain. And um, what's his name? Graham Hancock, who I think is usually crazy. He actually has a very, very reasonable theory about how the Ark of the Covenant could have been brought to Ethiopia. As he points out that in um, the Elephantine Island, we now know that there was a Jewish temple there that corresponded with Ezra and Nehemiah because we have their documents that were discovered on an Elephantine Island. And so, and we know they were wiped out in the, I think, uh, like early 300s BC. And so he suggests if they had a temple there and they were making sacrifices according to their writings, perhaps that's because the Ark of the Covenant was actually there. And then he suggests that it moved south after the destruction of the Jews at Elephantine Island when they were attacked by pagans there. 
And he suggests this is then where the Ethiopian Jewish community originates, because no one's really sure when that originates. Yeah, and he actually, they, he went and interviewed them and actually discovered oral traditions among them that they originated from Elephant, the Elephantine area. And so he suggests that that's how it got there. Now, that's probably the best explanation of how it could have gotten there. But my only issue with it is it seems to contradict Second Maccabees. So they have that a very is, odd that is wild. View. So the the beta beta uh, beta Israel, who are the Ethiopian Jews, that's their name. Beta Israel. <laughs> they don't, that's, what, that's literally what they call themselves. Yeah, the beta Israel. <laughs> yeah. Also, interestingly, we're Alpha gonna, Israel. <laughs> I'm going to be called a crazy person for this by people in the comments, but I'm convinced that Hatshepsut. Uh, the Egyptian pharaoh, she was the queen of Sheba. And interestingly, her traditional throne name, according to, I think it's Josephus, is um, Makara or something like that. And Makeda is the traditional name of the Ethiopian. Or I think it was, according to Egyptian tradition, uh, Hatshepsut's throne name is like Makara. And Makeda is the traditional Ethiopian name for the queen of Sheba. And so it's a possible theory. Interesting. Okay, so I, I I put this in the in the uh, chat as a poll, but do you guys think that Saint Athanasius wrote the Athanasian Creed? Because me, I actually think so. Because Athanasius, he was Saint Athanasius was in Rome uh, during a, a long period of the Arian crisis. Which, interestingly enough, uh, a lot of the writings about this from the ecclesiastical historians actually support uh, the premise of the Roman <laughs> Pontiff. And it would have it would have made sense that he would have written something like the Athanasian Creed in Latin and not in Greek when he was in Rome. So what what do you think? Um, I would say I take the very nuanced position. It's a position that uh, modern sc scholars have called the Stephen Anderson argument, where you say it says Athanasius on the tin, therefore Athanasius. Absolutely, says. Chad. Dude, Chad himself. <laughs> My initial thought is that why wouldn't it be in Greek if it was not made by St. Athanasius? But that's an interesting argument that was made in Rome. I haven't thought about it much. Yeah, yeah. because, I mean, he lived in Rome. It was used mostly oh, in the so, West. It would have made sense that he would have written himself a, uh, a so, kind of defense statement. Someone in the comments suggested I sh we should interview David Folk, and absolutely not. <laughs> I very much dislike David Folk. <laughs> Let, let's uh let's i'll email him right now and see if we can bring him on the uh the mt after dark stream okay <laughs> thing is he won't do it he'll just make a two-hour video debunking you if he, if he disagrees with something you said oh really that's great i want i i need more that, people is, to do videos debunking me i almost did a video on like some schizo egyptian stuff but then i thought like i have enough followers that he might send it to david falcon i kind of don't want his followers coming after me what are um uh, well, well, I mean, that's going to ask you what, what's David Falk's uh, in-depth, nuanced position on the uh, obvious real language of Reformed Egyptian? Is he any opinions on? I don't know. I'll have to ask him. <laughs> the obviously real language of Reformed Egyptian. Yeah, but my, my issue is <laughs> you, you not know what Reformed Egyptian is. Uh, no, I know what it is. Yeah, it was the language the Book of Mormon's written in. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so. <laughs> I, I I think Athanasius believed in the filioque. Don't don't come at me, Elijah. Yeah. But yeah, anyways, um, David Falk does not believe in a historical exodus because he denies the biblical chronology of when it happened. He thinks there's a historical exodus, but he thinks like all the biblical details about it are wrong, including the date. Because he says that the 480 years, the building of Solomon's temple is symbolic, but that's just bad theology. Symbolism doesn't mean it isn't real. Yeah, I agree. And, and and I, he, he also says that all... He also says all these other like Near Eastern cultures will have like large symbolic numbers from like their founding to the building of a temple. But I mean, is it not the case that these cultures might have built these temples on these major dates? Like we build things all the time on like um, famous, like what do you call it? Um, memorial dates? Yeah, memorial yeah. dates for like different events and stuff like that. Yeah. Can I we don't have know. Some, yeah. some questions here. So, uh, yeah, but the filioque is definitely real. Um, yeah, I, I think as 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 I think about it more and more, the filioque just makes more and more sense. Yeah, and I think the reason that a lot of um, modern Orthodox uh, deny the filioque is exactly like the. Uh, did you read the article I wrote on? So, I just wrote it like a week ago. Yeah, yeah. I read the superior half of it. the superiority of Latin I read uh, half Trinitarian of it. theology. Yeah. I think mm -hmm. that's basically the reason why there's such a kneecapping in the Orthodox tradition is you basically get up to St. John at Damascus 
and then it and then it stops. It doesn't have the same like flourishing of you know. I, of I really think if you West. want like good Eastern Trinitarian theology, it's I think it's Bonaventure and Scotus who really bring it to its complete perfection by adding in a few details from Augustine. But he, I think it really is still Eastern Trinitarian theology in its in it in its method of discussion discussing the issues. And Bonaventure um, seems to. Bonaventure argues in the bring up again the introduction to the disputed questions, which again you should read because it's awesome. <laughs> yeah, I should. Yeah, Gary also clearly poses a it summarizes an argument he makes in this commentary on the sentences, where he seems to basically make a very strong philosophical argument for the filioque, where he seems to be mm-hmm. basing it off of a Dionysian understanding of the nations. So it's very yeah. Eastern. Yeah, but yeah, go oh, on. Uh, on who I'd someone's in the chat asking who I'd prefer then for Egyptology and the Exodus. Um, I don't agree with him on everything, but I think David Roll has some good stuff. Uh, he's a good starting point. Um, then you can get into more schizo authors like uh, Damian Mackey and Donovan Corville and stuff, who I generally more agree with. But um, David Roll's a better introductory author. Anyways, on yeah, the Trinity, I want to recommend this book that actually convinced me of the Trinity. It's called The Holy Trinity in the Beginning There Was Love by Dimitrius Stanoloi. He's actually an Orthodox author and disagrees with the Filioque. But his arguments leading to the Filioque in this book are very convincing. And then his attempt to get out of how this is the Filioque is not very convincing. Where he argues, based drawing together Augustine and um, John of Damascus, gets to the point that the son pers- that the spirit proceeds from the father in order to rest in the son. But he also says, then the son is begotten that the spirit might rest in him. And so therefore, if this, if what the first thing he said was the filioque, then we would also have to add to the creed that the son is begotten of the spirit. But there's a pretty clear order of confusion here. I think within his, like the spirit proceeding in order to rest in the son is not the same thing as the son being begotten in order that the spirit might rest in him. Like you yeah. wouldn't, like you would say that, like you wouldn't say that, like your spouse got married to you. Be like your children are the cause of that. Like your children are the result of that. But we wouldn't like say that that was the reason that the marriage happened to these future children. Yeah. Well, um, I, I think the filioque just makes though, way too much sense. As yeah. a side note, does uh, is is this is Daniloy canonized or is he like still a key he, he, i've heard he's about to be canonized like they've been saying for about a decade like any day now the romanian orthodox church plans to canonize them yeah so, so I, what is, I, think, I think he uh, i think he's definitely like the best systematic theologian the orthodox have had in like the last century i'd highly recommend it's gotta be him or like i mean i i i, I hate to give him credit i think he's wrong about just about everything mm-hmm. but i mean you could point to like a losty or like a yeah, I guess Lasky has a bunch of issues, though. I think Stan Eloy is a much better reading of the Eastern Fathers. Um, I think Lasky's wrong, but I think he represents yeah. the more common, oh, at least in that position. You know, I think he's more like popular in the Orthodox world, but I'm saying in terms of like who's actually the best, oh, I think yeah. I think yeah, Stan Eloy's the best. Like, I would recommend his works. Besides his few anti-Western comments, I actually agree with a good chunk of what he says. Yeah, like I think um, I think a systematic theology is actually just a really excellent Byzantine systematic theology. I think uh, I've I've often recommended that, um, like I think there's like a lot of good to be found in like uh, Thomas Hopko's books and his book uh, The Orthodox Faith. It's four volume work. Yeah, he, one of the first... he has a lot of good just practical advice and stuff. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I'd actually recommend that book just as a, like a, that's probably the best like a kind of. One of the best, more modern, sort of just very introductory works on on catechesis. And I think it's pretty good. Oh, so with go. with Elijah's question, with Elijah's <laughs> question, I would say no, but uh, Gideon would say yes. So yeah, I would say I uh, the reason. Okay, I'll, I'll explain my reasoning, and then you can explain your okay. reasoning, uh, Gideon. Yeah. So my reasoning is that uh, with with the um, the two processions. So you have uh, uh, an that that's the notion of the father. You have, um, then, then you have active spiration, passive spiration, and then generation. So since there is no relative opposition between the son and the spirit, if you don't have the filioque include the son in the principle, then uh, active gyro, uh, active spiration would also uh, 
produce a subsisting relation, which would be a fourth person in the Trinity. So that that's that's my reasoning behind it is that you need this relative opposition between the Son and the Spirit, or you're gonna you're gonna break the kind of break the Father into and then or collapse the Spirit and the Son into one. <coughs> yeah, no, I I would think that I think that the modes and I think this is an issue of the Eastern fathers have a little bit, right? So when Gregory Nazianzen is getting to why begetting and procession are different. He says basically, well, these are beyond us. These are odd intra operations of God. So we simply can't know what the difference is, but they are somehow different. But I think that actually Augustine can be brought in here to bring a little bit of clarity that I think that the actual modes are different, but I think the difference is one is by mode of intellection and the other one by mode of willing. And so I would say that's the difference, but I would still affirm what Gregory Nazianzen says, but I would say in the sense that God's intellection and willing are so infinitely beyond us that we can't really know what they are. And so I would say in a sense that Gregory Nazianzen is correct, but there needs to be some nuance. And I would suggest that John of Damascus already brings in the need for some nuance because John of Damascus is already saying that the spirit proceeds and rests from the father and rests in the son. So clearly already John of Damascus is recognizing that we can know some aspects of the difference between begetting and procession. Um, so there are knowable differences in aspects of them, even if they are infinitely beyond us ultimately, if that makes sense. And if anybody thinks that our, uh, we're Augustinizing uh, the Trinity by having the mode of intellection and then the mode of love. Um, and Polymos as, affirms that as well. So. It, yeah, exactly. And I, I just have uh, John of Damascus pulled up right now if anybody wants to go in that yeah. direction. Yeah, the, the sun being by mode of intellection is all over the Eastern Fathers. It's They're a lot less clear on the mode of procession for the spirit is all. Um and Gregory Nazianzen is even bringing up the issue where he points out that like all throughout the Old Testament period, the father was revealed clearly, but the son was less clearly revealed. And he suggests, that the, he suggests that in the New Testament, the son is more clearly revealed. He says, but the spirit is revealed, but very mysteriously. And he actually thought it wasn't until around the fourth century in his time that God was choosing to reveal more clearly the who exactly the Holy Spirit is. So we actually have the idea of development of doctrine in you'll Gregory Nazianzen in there. You'll see that in um uh, in Bonaventure too, actually. Bonaventure makes a very important like distinct so when he's when Bonaventure describes like faith or belief, mm -hmm. he sort of makes a distinction between what he calls the implicit Trinitarian faith of the Old Testament and the explicit Trinitarian faith of the New Testament. So you see yeah. also the sort of same concept within him. Yeah. He he has a great thing. Have you read the itinerarium? Uh, what's that in English? <laughs> That's the road of the mind into God or the journey of the mind into God. Oh, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Since, it, yeah, since yeah. it's not translated always the same in English, I just refer to it, the name in Latin. Yeah, That's yeah. actually consistent. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, he has that great that. point oh, where he's trying to resolve the, essentially it's really a old Aristotelian platonic debate of whether God is being because he's good or good because he's being. Yeah, And he says that God is being insofar as he is one and good insofar as he is three. And he says, he brings up in the Old Testament, God reveals his name as I am who I am, the being. Well, in the New Testament, where God is revealed more as three, um, Jesus says that God alone is good. And John says that God is love. So God is revealed as good and love in the New Testament, more so because he's revealed as three more so in the New Testament. And so he yeah. resolves that opposition by saying he's referring to different aspects of how God is. Yeah. Whoa, I D. Wong is going off right now. I need to, I just need to read everything yeah. he said real quick. So Filioque synthesizes everything, literally synthesizes the divine sendings in the economy and synthesizes the taxes of persons. It synthesizes why knowing is prior to love. It matches with the origin of Adam, Eve, and Cain. Well, I think actually it's usually um, Adam, Eve, and Seth. 
with the uh, mm -hmm. with the analogy, but it explains human reproduction and the family structure as well. Literally, the filioque makes too much sense. The Fodian and Neopalamite objections come from people who know nothing about the Trinity. Yeah. Um, uh, Adam, the first that... person, is from no prior person, mirroring the Father. Eve, the second person, is from the side of the first person, mirroring the Son from the bosom of the Father. Cain is third from both, mirroring the Holy Spirit, according to the filioque. People who put relations and emanations in dialectical opposition don't understand perichoresis. Hypostatic properties emerge from relations which describe imminent processions, emanations. Yeah. Gregory yeah. Nazianzen equates relations and emanations in oration yeah, yeah, I know he went off. I'd, I'd, I'd say that we should we should understand that the debates over the filioque historically have been a debate within canonists. They haven't been a debate in theology until relatively recently. I'd argue at least. Even even someone like Mark of Ephesus, his arguments against the filioque are not theological arguments. They're arguments that are just well, based Fodi on. Photius did. Uh, yeah, Photius uh, was theological yeah. arguments. <laughs> they, all, they all sucked. And <laughs> also, so bad. and also, they're all also Photius was. I just I, I made a joke about this in a different survey. Where like the difference between Roman Catholic forgeries and Eastern Orthodox forgeries that Photius was actually producing forgeries himself, and the Roman Catholic was copying old ones. Yeah, uh, I'm actually gonna. I have a friend who um he reads Greek and Latin pretty fluently, and we've been planning to do a stream discussing forgeries because he has read all these Eastern fathers and knows just how many forgeries even end up in Maximus. Apparently um, yeah. his whole argument on the will apparently is based on some forgeries of Clement of Alexandria. Now Maximus, I'm going to assume he didn't create the forgeries, but they're floating around. And a lot of the time forgeries aren't even forgeries. They're anonymous writings that got, someone got a saint's name slapped on them at some point. Yeah. But, but Photius was caught actively like <laughs> producing okay. manufacturing yeah, this... You can read no, about that in uh, the book. There's only really one authoritative book on the Photian schism because it's not very a big topic, and mm -hmm. it's literally just the Photian schism by uh, Father Francis Dvornik. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He talks about that in that book. He's like, yeah, I'll get Photius. Yeah, theology is just like garbage. I mean, he. I will say he did do a lot of good work in um, promoting missionary work to the Slavs and, and, and liberal arts. Yeah. He did good work in liberal. He arts. He did, too. yeah. And I, I genuinely think. I mean. I, he reconciled with the with the Roman See. He reconciled with um, Saint Ignatius before his death. So I don't think he's like some horrible person. No, no. Um, I don't think he. Is but either. at the I'm same just... time, I, I think he was generally a pawn in a lot of other in a lot of political stuff going on in and the East. Um, but at the same time, the his argument. theology is just garbage. Dvornik makes the argument that it's clear that with with Photius's reconciliation, that Photius had no real intentions to really cause as big of a rift as he ended up doing. Yeah, uh, and a lot of that is by people like zealots who are just followers of his, not so much yeah. him. Yeah, and uh, and wasn't he involved? And there was a civil war going on, I think, at the time in the in the Byzantine Empire that he got like that, involved yeah. in. But he, uh, but my point was that traditionally speaking, there's not many theological arguments, really. Even I would argue for or against up until the 13th century, we have people like Aquinas and Bonaventure who are sort of making arguments like that to a degree. Yeah. But it's not typically something that was argued theologically for the vast majority of church history. It's a canon law issue. The Orthodox are objectively wrong about the canon law. That's the, that's the yeah. issue. Also, like, if it was primarily a canon law issue, like a canon law issue is not something to cause a thousand year schism over. Like, that's something you cause so. like... <laughs> that's something you cause like a one generational like local uh schism over you know yeah that, and that's something and that's something that Dvornik points out in his book is that even even if you take that Photius is right Photius didn't think it was something to schism over which is yeah. an interesting point, thing to point out Photius did not seem to think I mean obviously he reconciled he and we don't necessarily have any proof that he changed his views even he could have hold his same bad theological views and reconciled right he didn't necessarily mm -hmm. have to change them beyond, you know, maybe he lied about changing them. Who knows? He could have believed those things still. But he yeah. didn't think it was a big enough issue to stay in schism over. Yeah. Uh, which is important to note. But like I said, if you read like what Mark of Ephesus is saying at like Florence, his his entire arguments are just, you're wrong about the canons. These are all forgeries and that's it. Those are his two arguments. Yeah. They're not theological. He's not arguing against papal supremacy or the filioque or any of these on a theological basis, which is why mm -hmm. someone like Stenilois sort of has to kind of invent arguments to a degree. Yes, I think that it's really people like Gregory of Cyprus and Gregory Palamas who sort of save the Eastern Trinitarian position by not just making the procession of the sun, making rather the procession of the spirit 
uh, from the sun, only temporal. Um, yeah. Because that was the really seems like the argument of Photius. He's not clearly not making an argument that um, like the later argument made at uh, Blockernay. Yeah. Okay, so we have some questions in the. So Uh-oh. I will. I, mean, actually... I, I have to go in about fifteen minutes. So yeah. yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. So I will. I will get a reading list together and I'll put it in the Discord of all the works that I'm reading currently on the Trinity. It's just a lot of stuff from Thomas and then some stuff if, from if some you, uh, manualists. If people go to my um, video on the Trinity, I put quite a bit of really good works on Franciscan stuff on the Filioque. Yeah, yeah. ignore all that stuff. It's all garbage. <laughs> <laughs> I'm joking. I'm joking. Okay, so I'm gonna do. I'm gonna get grab this stuff on the Trinity first. Obviously, the best book um, to learn about my my entire reading list is the uh, the Holy Bible King James Version. Based based in uh, <laughs> based in Elizabethan pilled. Okay, funny. let me let me see. So first, uh, Gideon, what are your thoughts on the origin of Glasgolista? Was it a pagan Slav strip script? Was it created by Saint Cyril mm-hmm. and Saint Methodius, or was it made by Saint Jerome? Uh, I went to so people who don't know the argument made by most modern scholars is that the Cyrillic script that most Slavic languages are written in actually originates about a century after St. Cyril. The documents we find from St. Cyril's time are written in another script called Glagolithic. I went to one talk on this a while ago, <laughs> and she affirmed the, the, that... Um, oh, it's a female? It was okay. a female, yeah. And she said it, that, Glag, that she, she basically gave the standard story. That's all I know on it was her talk where she said she was working on some Glagolithic scripts. Okay, there you go. So, also another question for Gideon: Is that a Chetnik flag on your wall? If true, I'm conflicted on whether it is cringe or oddly based. Yeah, I can take it down for a second. Yeah, I got this on eBay. It's a Russian flag. I think it says something like "For the Orthodox Faith, for the Russian People," or something like that. Uh, it's super <laughs> larpy, but I actually did get it from Russia, and I think it looks cool, so I left it up. <laughs> Fair. <laughs> okay so oh wait this is an interesting one Cade even Mark of Ephesus' argument against purgatory is that it isn't a third place with uh, physical or corporeal fire yeah that isn't of the Catholic faith whether it's corporeal fire or not although it's a temerious opinion to deny that it's corporeal oh, fire that reminds as, me as taught by Saint Robert Bellarmine and then the majority of uh, do- of the doctors of that the schoolmen, schoolmen I wanted it I wanted to ask Byzantine's good. It's really fast. Uh-huh. Uh, because one of my first interactions with him was was this question, and I was just curious if he could uh, what his mm-hmm. personal opinion on it is. What are what are your personal thoughts on toll houses? On tolls, I think it's just I mean, they're describing the particular judgment, not the like purification after the particular yeah, yeah. judgment. But do you, so do you if, think if they're... it's do you think they're do you think they exist? I'll put it that way. Do you think they're valid? I think I think as a metaphorical way to understand the particular judgment, I have no issues with it. Okay. Uh, which is actually the way that most proponents of it are defending it. If you go read like Seraphim Rose, he's saying like, yes, there aren't lit- a literal 40 days with like 20 different toll houses. The point is like the demons try and accuse you at the moment of your death. And if you're not in Christ, like your guardian angel and your and your and the saints aren't going to protect you. Well, if you're in Christ, they are going to protect you. And so, like, it's just a particular histor- uh, historical way a lot of Easterners have portrayed the particular judgment, in which case there's really no issue with it. Okay, so Elijah has some questions. Didn't Theodoret of Cyrus question St. Cyril if he believed in the Filioque? It didn't St. Cyril respond with no. I've I've read stuff from St. Cyril uh, in the wild. This wasn't me quote mining, where he does... Uh, seem to affirm the filioque what are, what are yeah. your, your thoughts i've heard about this but i haven't looked into it we're supposedly essentially saint theodore or not theodore saint theodore i don't think he's a saint actually didn't he get condemned actually i don't know anyways he accuses cyril no that's uh, of, theodore of mops westy okay yeah. is it theodore accuses cyril of believing something that would essentially be the filioque and supposedly cyril clarifies and, and supposedly explains himself like an energetic procession or something like that i don't know the actual texts involved in this. I've just heard about it from some Orthodox apologists. They're both, as, as clarification, both Theodora of Mops Westy and, and Theodora of Cyrus are both Nestorian people. They both have relation to that. Okay. Statute. And it's Theodora of Mops Westy, not Theodoret of Mops Westy. There's a yeah, different yeah, yeah. Theodore. There was different Theodoret who was also, man, these, these, uh, these Theodoret, Theodorets were just all, 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 tr- all troublemakers. 
I won't speak too fast on him because I think he might have Cyrus might have some position with the Cal with the Chaldeans, although I'm not too sure about that. Okay, so you know how the Chaldeans. Elijah be. also asks, didn't Saint Gregory of Nyssa say something like the Father alone is the cause of the Son and the Spirit? I have no idea. Well, there's a sense in which you could say he alone is caused, referring to in a different sense than the son, father and the son together are caused in the sense that the father is the sole source of the Trinity, which is often how the the Eastern fathers are talking about it. Because they're yeah. trying to affirm the oneness of the Trinity against someone like Eunomius or Macedonius or those people who are debating. Yeah, because when it comes to the Eastern Fathers, uh, most of their writings, uh, except um, actually St. John of Damascus may even also have a polemical uh, edge when it comes to this. Most of their writings are polemical. They're, they aren't speculative. <coughs> so they're they're really uh, speaking in more of a uh, dogmatic edge than a uh, than an, a uh, scholastic edge of um, of uh, what would it be called of uh, speculative investigation. Uh, where speculative investigation kind of flourishes in the West, where there isn't as much of these like fighting for our lives sort of thing. And that's more Eastern in in flavor, I guess, is just we're always fighting for our lives against heretics. That's mm -hmm. kind of just like the East in a nutshell. Yeah. Okay, so Elijah also asks, is relative opposition patristic, though? The Greek fathers seem to all teach the emanation. Oh. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, no, I think that would be generally be the case that they teach essentially a more emanationist view that you'd find in the Eastern Fathers, uh, that you find in the Franciscan theologians. Uh, I, mean, I think they would affirm relative opposition if you explain that to them. They never took any issue with any of Western Trinitarian theology, but that doesn't seem to be so much their emphasis. Okay, and then I'll answer this, and then I guess I'll get Gideon to answer it. I can answer it from more of a Thomistic mm -hmm. point of view when it comes to Thomistic philosophy. So can you give a quick summary of what the Thomistic Institute gets wrong about evolution and young earth creationism? So I think what they, uh, humbly speaking, uh, as uh, they're all Dominican friars who know a bunch more than me about uh, Thomism. So this is just me speaking as a random online internet layman. Don't, don't really trust me. Oh, baby Thomas is here. Hey, uh, uh, here's Augustine. Okay. So when it comes to uh, evolutionism, um, young earth creationism, and Thomistic philosophy, uh, with, with St. Thomas's philosophy and its relationship between uh, scripture and reason, um, where where scripture speaks on this issue of the age of the earth and then also the origins of man, it's clearly going to be something which is of faith. Therefore, uh, philosophical speculation or, uh, which would include uh, scientific inquiry would be wrong if it goes against, um, biblical revelation and the, uh, the contents and articles of the faith as is seen in, um, in only eternity of the world which I think is the best work to look at this because there was already this controversy about the age of the earth. It was just the opposite way. Some people were saying that the earth was eternal. And St. Thomas says, we cannot know this by philosophy, that Aristotle's arguments for this are kind of actually good, but we have to deny it because it goes against an article of faith. And I think we can say the same thing against the, uh, the scientists of our age is that uh, they, they may have good arguments. They may have convincing arguments, but because it goes against the contents of the faith, um, they are obviously wrong. Yeah. I guess I'll move my camera down a little bit. So, right. uh, Augustine. I have to leave. Yeah. So, before you All go, right. I gotta stop. See you guys. We'll see you, Alex. And then I'll answer this, and then I have to hop off as well. Um, so, yeah, I think that in terms of... Oh, my biggest issue with a lot of their videos, I wanted to respond to their videos. But they haven't put out much I can respond to, but they haven't generally put forward positive arguments for an old earth and against a young earth, you know? So like a lot of their videos were responding to metaphysical arguments that I generally don't actually hear against evolution. Like, Oh, that means God couldn't have created. Like, I mean, you'll hear that from some creationists, but that's a bad one. You know, God could have created through this secondary process, but they need to focus more, I think, on the better issues. Like, they're not taking the best arguments of young earth creation and responding to those, you know? 
So they, when I in my Jimmy Aiken debate, I went through quite a number of spots in Genesis 1 through 11, not even 1 through 11, really 2 through 11, that do not fit into an old earth view. So like the Tower of Babel, the flood, and I pointed out many issues with considering the flood local. I pointed out why we cannot, why we have to take the chronologies of Genesis 5 and 11 literally. And they're not responding to those. You know, like they did three videos on attributes of God's creation. But they didn't put put anything up that a creationist would object to. They have like they'll argue, oh, these here's some symbolic meanings we can take from Genesis one. Well, sure, of course, we can take a lot of symbolic meanings. You have to argue why it is not literal. And someone's saying they're responding to Protestant objections, but that's not the case because I'm drawing a lot of this stuff from Protestant literature that I thought made good arguments for creationism. So you can look, for example, at James Jordan's really excellent work on creationism. You can take a look at my argument about the flood and why it has to be global. I drew that from Kurt Wise. Like these are not things that are not among Protestants. Yes, you can go in and find lots of terrible arguments if you go to the front page of Answers in Genesis and play click random articles. But you can also find dumb articles on pretty much any subject by doing something like that. You have to find the best arguments creationists make and respond to those arguments. Likewise, most creationists would not say that we should reject science. They haven't responded to any of the scientific arguments made by creationists, such as just plain out arguments why the world can't be old, such as the salinity of the oceans, or more interesting arguments made by creationists actually explaining the mechanisms of the flood. So where, for example, is their material responding to Todd Wood's work on hominin barominology? Where is their work responding to um, John Baumgartner's work on catastrophic plate tectonics? There's quite a bit of scientific research that creationists have put forward that they haven't responded to at all either. They just start with the presumption that all the scientific evidence is on the old Earth side and that there couldn't possibly be young Earth scientific explanations. And so there's just so many issues with... Um, the Thomistic view. I think that, not the Thomistic, the Thomistic Institute's view. And so, yeah, there's just not a lot to respond to. Like if there was genuine content to be responding to there, I'd be making videos responding to their arguments, but I can't do that because they're not putting anything forward. Okay. Thank you. So uh, I think you have to go, but uh, yeah. that was good. So Augustine wants I, to say bye. All right. He, bye, he, Augustine. He told me. Yeah. Okay. See you, man. See you. Okay. So I guess I will, I'll deal with a few of these and then I myself will have to go. Yeah, buddy. So the best way to become knowledgeable in these subjects through self-study, I want to become more grounded in the Catholic faith and think this kind of study would be good for me. Yeah. The, um, the place where I would recommend going is I, I think I always like to divide study into, um, two species is that first you're going to have those those studies which focus more on the content and then there's going to be those studies which focus more on the gaining the habit sorry can you grab them So uh, you're, you're going to have those things which form the habit of being a theologian, and then there's going to be those things which uh, give you the, the knowledge of, of theology itself. So when it comes to, depending on how um, advanced you are, if you're, if you're in a good level of advancement and um, you've already read a lot of theology and you want something difficult, um, obviously something like the Summa would be very helpful uh, with this. And then if you have a knowledge of Latin, uh, getting some of his commentators. Um, and then if you only have English, uh, maybe something like Lagrange's commentary on the Summa. That would be something very helpful to do, although most people don't have that. But if you're at a more beginner stage, uh, you might have read the Catechism of the Council of Trent or the, uh, the Catechism of the Catholic Church or something like that. You already have the basics of the Catholic faith and you want to go deeper and kind of dive into the manuals, uh, something like hunter's outlines of dogmatic theology 
Um, I reprinted that. Uh, if you, I will send the link real quick. And I know I've mentioned that book a million times, but um, it is really good. So christianbwagner.com slash shop. If you go all the way to the bottom, you'll see the links to the getting that. Um, that is really helpful for getting the content of theology. And then if you're if you're at a point where you've read Hunter, you kind of get the the basics of how the manuals work and um, the the outlines of some of the debates that that are present. There may be something like Pole, his manual, um, Sheban, his manual. I think manuals are really helpful with that with being able to get a lot of the the content down, the outlines of the, the debates down. Uh, because for most people, getting into a lot of these debates, like when Gideon and I talk about relative oppositions or something like that, that's not going to be uh, too helpful. That's going to be a bit obscure. So all all of that is is very helpful. Um, also the SDS, the um, Sacre Theologiae Summa, um, although that's uh, definitely probably one of the most advanced manuals. It's very difficult to read. Uh, that's helpful with the manuals. Um, but with forming the habit of a theologian, that's going to come with reading a lot of the works that the fathers have written on this. So for example, with the Trinity, um, reading De Trinitate, that's going to, while it's not the most advanced um, when it comes to being able to understand the content of Trinitarian theology. There have been better works since then written that go deeper than De Trinitate. But what's great about De Trinitate, why it is a classic, is because it forms that habit and that ability to think theologically. And that's the same with a lot of the works, um, reading Hillary's uh, De Trinitate, or some of the Eastern Fathers and their works on the Trinity, or really uh, the Fathers' works on anything. And I think that's why the fathers are so important, even um, even while we have moved uh, past and gone deeper than the fathers on a lot of these debates. That is why they are so amazing. Yeah, then Ott, Ott is also uh, really good. So that's, that's about all I have with that question. Um, but thank you for, for commenting. Um, good evening. Augustine is the soul more closer to Christ out there. That is true. Since he is baptized, um, he has inhabit the virtues of faith, hope, and charity, and he has not committed actual sin, unlike all of us. So he is he is closer to Christ than all of us are. So did you guys watch the Horn slash Christie debate on Marian doctrines? I have not. Um, I have not at all. Let me see if there's any other questions. There are a bit of debates going on about the filioque in the comments, but... Um, I'm not a historian, so I can't actually, uh, I, I will show my limits here and say that I will not be able to comment on much of those. So that is, that is all that I have for you guys right now. Thank you for showing up. Um, become a patron at patreon.com slash militant Thomas. Make sure you sign up for fluentgreeknt.com code militant. If you want to learn Greek, go to christianbwagner.com slash shop if you uh, want the based Militant Thomist mug or to buy any of the many books that I have printed, which I think all are good and helpful. So thank you. Um, remember, go to Mass tomorrow and God bless. Which outro do I want to do? That is the question.